This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller. I'm a writer, an editor, a runner, a mom, and a dog mom living just outside New York City in Weehawken, New Jersey. Every week on the Alley on the Run show, I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. While running is what brings us all together, on these episodes, we cover so much more. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today, the good ones, and of course, the bad ones, and how getting sweaty has factored in. I am thrilled to welcome brand new Olympic trials qualifier, Carly Gill, to the show today. That is a title Carly has wanted for a few years now, and it's one she worked her butt off to earn. Two weeks ago, Carly ran a 2.42 at the Berlin Marathon, qualifying for the Olympic Marathon trials by nearly three full minutes. Carly lives in New York City, where she's a freelance television producer. We talked via Skype, though, because she pretty much went straight from Berlin to Florida, where she'll be working on a Food Network project for the next eight weeks. I love Carly because she has a really good approach to the mental side of training and racing. I loved talking to her about expectations, disappointment, and how to recover emotionally after a race that may not go your way. Last year at CIM, for example, Carly wanted to qualify for the trials, but she fell just two minutes short of that goal. Still, she ran a huge PR that day. So we talk about what to do when you're happy, disappointed, and totally exhausted all at once. All right, let's do this. Please join me in welcoming Carly Gill to the Alley on the Run show. Carly Gill, I think you might be the happiest runner on the planet. I am so excited to bask in all your glory today. Thank you for being on the Alley on the Run show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. <laughs> all right. So before we get into all the reasons that you might be smiling on the run, warm us up. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. Um, I'm Carly Gill. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up upstate New York in Johnson City, New York. And I am a producer, freelance, but currently for the Food Network. Oh, it's so cool. I can't wait to talk about career <laughs> stuff. I have a lot of questions about reality competition cooking shows. So we'll get to that. But yeah. first, I can't not talk about Berlin because Carly, you're an Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon. Uh, I just got like kind of goosebumps and kind of weak <laughs> when you yeah. said that. It's still, I mean, we're talking a week later, but I don't even know what day it is, but <laughs> I, I still can't believe that that is me. Yes, I am. <laughs> that is you. All right. So you ran your Olympic trials qualifying time at the Berlin Marathon. We know you wanted to get that sub 245, that OTQ time. So we need to talk about everything that went into that. Talk to me first. We'll get into the training. We'll backtrack in a little bit. First, we need to just talk about race day. You're walking up to the start. You're in Berlin. Did you have this feeling of today's my day? I've got this. Not until the gun started. I think until the gun started. I guess the gun went off. Um, it didn't start. <laughs> but I, yeah, leading up to the race, I didn't feel much, which I think is kind of my mechanism when it comes to racing. I focus on everything else, like what do I wear? What do I eat? 
Um, you know, what do I need to get done? What flight do I need to get on? And I just focused on all those things. I think I didn't want to think about it because I didn't really have a perfect training cycle. So I just was like, you know what, thinking about the negatives won't get me anywhere. So let's just focus on what I need to get done to be the best I can. Um, and so I remember the morning of, uh, it was like a checklist, like drink this carb and then, you know, eat this and then pee behind this bush because, you know, there aren't a lot of places for women to pee at the European races. There's lots of port, you know, urinals and just getting that, that stuff all done and all my nerves and it's probably too much information, but, you know, just honestly showing up to that line without any worry besides running and, um, getting to the right corral in time. I'm, I'm an anxious racer. I like to be in my corral early and, um, but then of course I have to go to the bathroom a hundred times. So just really honestly before the race that's all I was thinking about um and then I you know looked up at the screen and there's all these people talking and really nothing hit me until the start of the race so pre-race wise uh I tried not to not have confidence but I definitely wasn't thinking like yeah I definitely am gonna do it so yeah it was mixed emotions and kind of just numb before (laughs) in a way So when you're going into a race where you do have that really specific time goal, you know, it's not like, oh, I want to do, I'd like to do well today. Of course you want to do well, but you wanted to qualify for the Olympic trials. You wanted to run under a 245. So with something like that, did you have a very specific race plan mile by mile? Yeah. I mean, I think it all came down to execution. Um, I knew I needed to execute what I had practiced, but you know, throughout training. And like you said, we'll talk about that, but I didn't feel like marathon pace was necessarily easy. (laughs) And so I didn't want to think about that. So I was like, okay, well I'm here to execute. I know I shouldn't, you know, do anything crazy and it's a marathon and I need to respect that. So it was really about executing, keeping myself as calm as possible. Having gone into at least one other race where I had the same goal, I knew that, you know, fitness aside at the last time at CIM, um, that I had raced, um, fitness aside, I obviously have grown a lot more in the last nine months, but also I knew some of the mistakes I had made mentally. And so I knew I needed to not really, I don't think to very many people prior to the race, I talked about the Olympic trials or, you know, people asked and people talked about it. I deleted Instagram the day before, not because I didn't want to see anyone's wonderful messages. I love everyone, but I just knew that I needed to not think about that in my own head and just kind of get out of that and just focus on having a beautiful race and being happy with whatever time that ended up producing. Um, whether that was a 246, which would have also been a PR or a 244.59, which have been just under it. I did not think I was going to smash it. Um, I just kind of respected it and knew I needed to execute and run calm and, and really just be at peace with the fitness. I knew I was fitter. It was, it was a weird confidence because I knew, I knew on the track, oddly, I was nailing workouts better than I ever had, but on some of my long runs and some of my more tempo ish runs, which I usually am used to kind of being better at, I didn't really see necessarily in numbers, anything that was like, wow, I'm going to do it. So I just knew I'm fit. I'm some kind of fit and I just need to execute, not do anything crazy in the first half, not even do anything crazy before the last two miles and just respect it and get to that last 5k feeling like myself and in control and whatever it takes to do that. I wanted to do that. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a business like 
<laughs> poker face I guess I had on, but I, you know, I had listened to some elites who talked about, you know, deleting social media ahead of time. And I, I thought, you know what, like, I love social media. I love sharing my journey. But I think the people around me and the people who will text me, it's great. I'll hear from, but I really just need to focus. And, and kind of many people, you know, when you have a 247 PR, people are obviously expecting you to go for it and expecting it out of you and viewing that as a wonderful expectation and, and a wonderful, you know, it's like faith in me. Like they have the faith in me and not the pressure being put on me. And so I just had to shift that mindset to be, wow, like all these people believe I can do it. So I should believe I can do it. Not all these people believe I can do it. I hope I do it. Or they're going to, you know, I'm going to let them down or I'm going to be really disappointed. And I really didn't let my mind go negative at all. And I think that was really important. So I just was like, okay, let's execute the best race I can today. Not really think about the result. I knew the pace that I needed to hit. I had written down the 5k because everything's in kilometers. I had written you know, I knew approximately the kilometers, which looks super scary in 5k terms. And I just was like, okay, like I have it written kind of on my hand. I know what I need to do. But ultimately, once the gun went off, I just like trusted myself and felt really good. <laughs> and so I just kind of I knew anything could happen. So I just didn't let myself get carried away. And that was that was sort of crucial. Yeah. And you smashed it. <laughs> You smashed that time. You didn't run a 244.59 at all. No, not at all. Okay, so I want to break down, and I have to laugh when you said that you had your poker face on. Carly, every photo I've seen of you from this race, before, during, and after, if that's your poker face, I don't think you should play poker. I'm sorry. Play poker. I can't lie. I can't lie. I can't hide my emotions either. So, you know, there's, it's always an extreme with my face. Well, and I would say if that's your poker face, you had a royal flush from start to finish because that's good, right? A royal flush. I don't, I clearly don't play poker, but um, sounds great. Yeah, but that's what I gathered. So walk me through the race a little bit because, again, from the photos, looks like you're smiling start to finish. Like you looked like from mile one, I've got this and I'm having fun doing it. How close to reality is that? And, and what did the race look like for you? Yeah, it sort of was. I mean, I think the first couple of Ks, <laughs> we're talking in Ks, um, the first <laughs> few Ks, it's crazy, right? Uh, Americans talking in Ks. Um, but the first, it really is nice because you knock out some Ks and like, you're like, wow, I just knocked out four Ks. I don't know what that means, but sounds like a lot. Great. I don't know. You know, 5K is 3.1, but then you're like eight and you're like, uh. No, but it's math. Geez. It's hard. Anyways, it, 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 it sounds intimidating, but when you're like, I turned, so a friend of mine around, I think one or two K, a friend of mine, Daniel um, Medina, he moved from New York to Berlin a couple of years ago. He it was one of my first Nike Run Club pacers back in the day. He's amazing. He started his own like amazing community in Berlin. Um, he and I hadn't talked before the race. And this is why I love him. He didn't come up to me and say, you're going for 245. Let's go for it together. You know, he was going for a similar time. He didn't quite you know, have a day. He had a, a little bit of an Achilles issues at, issue at halfway, but he came up to me or like up next to me in the, at like literally probably one or two K and was like running next to me for a second. And I kind of expected him to take off. Um, and, but then we ended up running together for like 24 K like, which is more than half of the race. Um, and 
he came up to next to me and he's like, for a little while we were just kind of like, Oh, here's, you know, let's share Martin, let's share some water. And we were doing that and we were helping each other. And I kind of was like, you can go, but I didn't quite say that. Um, and he turned to me, he's like, what are you going for? And I was like, anything under 245. And he's like, great. And I was like, but you can go. And he's like, no, no, no. We trust each other. We'll go if we need to. Let's have some fun. Let's help each other. And I was like, great. And so I didn't expect that. I didn't plan that. We didn't plan that. And that was, I call him like my guardian angel of the race because he has always kept me really calm. I remember back at like one of the first Brooklyn half marathons that I ran, um, maybe my second time running the Brooklyn half, I was like starting to get a little faster. So I was starting to put that pressure on myself, you know, and about a certain time or whatever. And I was really nervous at the start line. And I remember he turned to me and he said, we have such a privilege because our livelihood doesn't depend on this and we can run fast and we can enjoy it. And, you know, if we have a bad day or we have, and I remember this is from like 2015 or 2016 maybe. Um, and he's like, if we have a bad day, we still have our job. You know, this isn't our job. Like we have such, and just that outlook on running has always, he's always been a really, really inspiring person to me. Um, against all odds, he has just been so inspiring and on and off the road. So to have him run up next to me and then us end up sharing like 24 kilometers together was like, I swear he was like an angel brought to me and it was so calming. You know, those type of people who just come up next to you and, and your just shoulders just relax and you're just, so he did that for me and, and we were, you know, he was grabbing water. I was grabbing our, our fuel or Martin and, and we were helping each other out. And that was really, really awesome. And I felt really good. I had thought before the race a lot about this. I was like, if I look back at some of my best races, right, none of them were perfect. You know, you have a good result, right? And you're like, wow, I ran a PR and I ran, ran a great race. And you kind of forget about the bad moments in those races a little bit, right? If you had a really big breakthrough, you had a really great race. Like I think of Cherry Blossom for me this year. I ran really well there. And I look back at that as like a really great spring race for me. But I had a really bad side stitch in, in part of that race. And, you know, I've worked through it. And so I went into this race kind of with all those lessons of like, all right, this doesn't need to go perfectly for it to be beautiful. You know, it can still be great. And I just need to take everything that comes my way, whether it's a stomach ache or a, you know, I'm a quad pain or whatever it is. I just need to work through it and just stay calm. And so being at peace and, and remaining calm was like a big piece for me. And so I, I remember at 10K, like I was feeling aerobically really good, like my lungs and like my legs, everything was feeling really good. I could tell things were clicking and I didn't want to get ahead of myself because um, I know a lot can happen. But I felt I felt like everything was clicking, but I did kind of feel some like glute and hamstring stuff going on, but I didn't let it scare me. And I think I was like, wow, is this what it's like to actually use your glutes and hamstrings? Cause I've never done that before. Um, maybe that's what this is like. Thank you, Lena, my strength coach. Cause they're working or something. I don't know. It just felt weird, but I didn't let anything like that. That just felt odd and different scare me. And I just was like really calm. I don't know. My mind, it sounds hokey but like my mind was really at peace and I was just enjoying and I kept saying to Daniel let's knock out some K's I was just like <laughs> so out of it I don't even know it really came up it came like so quick to me this race it feels like just yesterday it was spring so I just was like all right let's do it and so I think I was just in the zone I don't know I don't know how else to describe it I was really really good um 
and I really felt amazing up until like the whole thing almost, but the, you know, 23, 24 miles, we'll talk in terms of miles now, uh, mile 23 and 24, like were some of my fastest miles, which is wild. And it's hard to know my exact splits, but according to my Garmin, you know, they were my fastest miles and I was feeling really good. And I knew I was knocking out miles and the 5k splits that I had written on my hand, I was way under. And I knew the whole time. And I was like, well, I hope I don't pay for it. But I didn't think of it. I didn't think of it in terms of like, oh, I'm gonna pay for this. You know, I didn't let it go fully negative. I just kind of was like, well, okay, knock out a few more hot stuff. You think you're so <laughs> like, hopefully you don't pay for this. I just didn't let it. <laughs> I just didn't let it go too negative. And I think that was crucial because you can let your mind unravel and then your body kind of responds to that. So it just, yeah, it just. <laughs> Well, you didn't pay for it. It worked out. So you're you're knocking off these Ks. You're well under your your time goals that you have written down. At what point did you officially give in to yourself and say, I got this. This is happening. I started to at mile 18 because it was 30K. And that sounds so much farther than it is. And I was like, whoa, girl, chill. So I stopped myself. I was passing an elite who had fallen back. I think she was elite. I might be just judging her, but she seemed elite um, <laughs> to me. And she was falling back, and I tried to encourage her. And I started to see some of that around 30K. And I didn't even look at my watch. And I was like, ooh, 30K. I got to be, like, really close. And I looked down. I was like, 18. Wow, there's still eight. But I knew I was – I knew I had an hour left, which – in the past, I would have been like, whoa, that's a lot. But for some reason, I was like, ooh, I could do this for another hour. But – I was like, I know way better than to get excited at 18. So chill. Don't do anything crazy. I was I was about to do something crazy. But I stopped myself. And I was like, okay, knock out some more Ks in the way you're doing it. Don't do anything crazy. You feel great. But, you know, there's still eight miles. or And then at somewhere between 22 and 24, I guess 37-ish K was like a cheer zone where a lot of people from New York were. I had like past somebody I knew and they were doing great but they were very encouraging and then right after that I saw a friend and then I saw I saw coach Finley from Project Moonshot which I'm a part of and and a friend Stephanie was right with him and I cannot even believe I did this Allie like thank god I had a good race because I am not one to get overconfident and I'm not one you know a it CIM, I fell apart entirely in the last two miles. So for me to even do this was kind of crazy. But I look at Coach Finley from Project Moonshot from Nike and and my friend Stephanie, and I see them, and I think I was mile, around mile twenty three, and I I had I knew I had like a five k to go, and I was like, I'm effing doing it, and I screamed profanities that I was like doing it, and I was like, why did I just say that? Like, <laughs> I do it now, but I knew I was so under, and I honestly. I've felt the marathon demise. Like I haven't had all perfect marathons. I know it kind of slowly comes and like it can kind of hit you like a ton of bricks, but you, you've got some clues usually <laughs> ahead of time that it's coming. I just knew it. I don't know. And I, I've never been so confident that I could finish the thing. I knew if I faded even, I would still get it because I was so under. Um, it was definitely stupid because a lot could have <laughs> happened in the last 5K, but I just knew it. And I let myself enjoy that for a minute and soak that in and, you know, maybe get some energy from the confidence. But I, I just let it sink in a little bit there. But I really, truly didn't really let it sink in until I crossed the finish line. Um, I didn't want to slip. I was like, don't trip. I think I even, I mean, not to be like, oh, I slowed down on purpose, but I, I think the last mile on the cobblestone even I was like super careful I was like just don't do anything stupid just don't 
trip. Just don't fall, <laughs> you know, like don't, I don't know. I was just like, just get to the finish line. I knew I could do it if I just got there and didn't do anything crazy. All right. So you cross that finish. Tell me about all the emotions you're feeling. It had just started raining. It was like a scene from a movie. It's like my tears. I mean, I'm sorry for all the people who were running for 40 minutes in that rain, but I got really lucky. Um, there was some wind on the course and there was some sprinkles here and there, but I got you know, pretty much in the last 5k was all the rain I had and it was sprinkles. But right after I crossed alley, it's like God was making that rain come for me because it was like, let the rain come down. And I crossed the finish line and it was like everyone around me, I was running with a bunch of dudes the whole time. And I had no one really to see. And previously when I had run Berlin, my friend Jason was there and, you know, people were there. I had no one. And so I literally just start sobbing and this volunteer woman comes running up to me because I'm the only girl in sight that I could see, you know, in this like, small pack within a minute and she comes running up to me are you okay and then she was just consoling me because she could tell I was happy crying it was ugly sobs I really didn't know I didn't have anything to say I was just ugly sobbing and it sounds silly but you know I just was ugly crying and then I finally found you know some local New York city people like a minute later and hugging all them and it was really nice to see everybody um a lot of the guys came up and were like oh my gosh are you from u.s because like you know not everybody that that time goal there in europe doesn't necessarily mean much to everybody and so a lot of the guys i think i was running with came up and like oh my gosh you're from u.s this is amazing and that means, you know, the Olympic trials, right? And and so a lot of people came up and this one guy I had run with who he, he was like fading a little bit at mile 25 and I ran up next to him. He's from Mexico and I like cheered him on in Spanish and he ended up finishing really close to me and he thanked me and took, his name's Hector. He took like a photo with me and it was really cool and I was just ugly crying the whole time and it was really cold. And then immediately my back, I, I felt great the whole race and immediately I like was like a hunchback, hunchback back of Notre Dame because my like back like suddenly just tensed up I think I was cold but <laughs> like okay I gotta get warm now <laughs> but it's still it's hit me in waves since then because I couldn't stop crying all day I was like calling my mom once I got my phone and you know just calling everybody I love and I think it was a culmination of a lot of a lot of work and a lot of love and just never never seeing myself doing something extraordinary like that. So it was really crazy. I didn't I didn't really let let it hit until I crossed, so it just all came pouring down. It was it was cool. All right. Well, first of all, I don't think you get to use the phrase ugly crying. Because if anyone listening knows what Carly looks like, I don't think you could be ugly if you tried. So how dare you? But also, I want to talk about a couple things that you mentioned. And one sort of came up here. You noted on, I think it was on Instagram stories after the fact, you posted about your feelings on running around mostly men. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Does that matter? I mean, you're also, you're like a tiny person. So did you feel that, you know, was it like all big dudes towering over you? I know that's such a generalization, but talk to me about running around mostly men. Yeah, no, it it was very, very much so true. And I ran Berlin in 2017 um, and a pretty fast time as well, but I think it's across all times. I've talked to 
um, you know, women way up front. And then I've talked to, you know, women in the middle, 305, 320, 340. And it was kind of across the board because, I mean, participation, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but participation at the European races, it's nothing like it is in America. I think, I don't know the numbers, but I think in America, it's pretty 50-50, if not more women at a lot of races. You know, there's definitely a lack of people of color at some races. But I think, um, you know, in Europe, it was interesting because obviously my time has something to do with that. So I expect that even in America a little bit. But usually there's some women up. I mean, I ran CIM with like packs of women, you know, running. So it's like to go from CIM where I have, you know, how many women under two, under three hours? It was like 100 under three hours or something crazy um, to then this race. Um, I really didn't have any women. I saw some women at the start that I knew. Um, I ran with a woman from Nyack, Caroline Williams, for a little while. Um, but really, for the most part, I mean, I was really happy to have Daniel. But other than that, it was a lot of really tall men around me. And I am 4'11". So, you know, you could be 5'5", five five and I think you're tall. So, you know, for me particularly, obviously, I'm surrounded by a bunch of really tall men. I have a video from a friend um, at the half and he was trying to cheer for me, but some guy had just like kicked the back of my foot. You know, I get some elbows kind of on my arm or, you know, things like that. I think that's a height thing more than anything. But yeah, it was interesting. I think, you know, not to generalize at all, but a lot of the races I've been at, the men are usually pretty encouraging, but I was actually pretty taken aback. And there were, I will say, there were so many encouraging men around me. But there were a lot that were really scoffing at me, and and it was really kind of quite surprising. And you know, I I just was wow, you know, surprised by that. But um, you know, I think female participation at, at I don't again don't know the numbers, but at these races it feels pretty low, um, especially on on the competitive side. But um, yeah, I, I, on the flip side of things, it was amazing. Like the cheers that I received, like people look at you like, Whoa, a girl, you know, and that's cool. But I think it just, I, I hope it encourages, you know, I high fived as many kids as I could. Um, and I think, I hope it inspires, inspires some, some girls to know that they can be up there and they don't need to limit themselves. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I shared my nutrition here and there if I was, wasn't going to drink the whole thing. Cause it, we didn't, I didn't have elite bottles, but there is like this Berlin thing where you can kind of like get bottles and it, like anyone in the race, but you know, we were sharing those with a group of us. And so I was, you know, very generous with sharing that. And some guys were like, Oh, wow, thank you. Yeah. Or no, thank you. And one guy was like, wow, what are you going for? And you know, there were some that were super encouraging. And again, at the finish line, so many, but there was one guy, like I, a lot of them, and I don't know if it's also just how they race, but they, everybody wants to be on that blue line. Cause it's like the shortest distance. It's like the three blue lines in the middle. It's like what the shortest course is. And so people obsess over that. I wasn't like on it, but people try to pack around that. Um, it makes sense. It helps you with the tangents, but I would like kind of pass someone. Cause like Daniel and I, we would like look at each other if like we could feel that like our pack was slowing and then we were like, no, we got to run our groove. And so we'd kind of like go around opposite sides of someone. And some people get so mad when we would do that. I mean, you're looking at a four foot 11 girl and then this awesome, awesome, awesome brown queer dude from Berlin. And I don't know if it was both of us or one of us, or they had a problem with either of us, but, um, some of them would just like then sprint ahead of us and then cut us off. It was kind of like road rage in a way. Um, but I, I saw that across the board. I, I talked to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, it was wild out there. I think just the way that some of these guys race, um, you know, accelerate and then decelerate in front of you is, it was just kind of weird, but, um, 
and I don't know, it's hard to know if that's because I was a female, a tiny little female passing them or, or what, but yeah, I did pass one guy towards the end who I had been running with like the whole time. And yeah, he scoffed, he like audibly scoffed at me. Like, and then he tried to like pick it up and he did. And I was like, okay, like I'm just running my pace. Like I'm not trying to pass you. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, wow. and I, I did see some females towards the end who were, who were slowing and we worked together and were really encouraging, um, you know, some of the elites and it was really, really cool. And I think, you know, it's maybe they're just not used to seeing it. And you know what? I hope that they get used to it because I think females are just getting stronger and stronger and faster and faster. And I know more females who are kicking butt postpartum and throughout their whole lives. So they better get used to it because we're not going anywhere. That's well, yeah. All. Hell yeah. And also that's kind of when they're scoffing at you, don't you kind of want to run, want to yell your friend's words to them, which are, our livelihood doesn't depend on this. Chill. Yeah, like this right? is a privilege. It's Be a little, nice. It's a little ego. And I, I really was careful not to cut anyone off. I do know my cadence is obviously way different than theirs. So there's an element of that. Like I take what, two steps to like their one, like, I don't know, but you know, I take 200 steps per minute or something like that in a marathon. So yeah, I'm probably a little annoying to run near and I see that. So no, you're not <laughs> I, annoying ever. You're perfect. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So we're talking about this amazing success story. We've spent almost half an hour talking about how you had just the best day ever. But I do think that we should go back in time a little bit because this wasn't your first try for the Olympic trials qualifying time. You you mentioned in passing CIM last year. So I think it's worth digging in a little bit and talking about some of those heartbreaks along the way. I mean, I don't know if you consider them heartbreaks. It's a very dramatic word, but yeah. you know, I, I know how it feels to have a goal and fall short of it. It sucks. Um, especially when you've been really public with your goal last year, your goal was to run a 245 at CIM. You were really public about it and it didn't happen. So can you talk to me a little bit about the road to the best day ever? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like prior to CIM, I had never really been so public. Like when I wanted to break three, I didn't really tell anyone. I wasn't hiding it, but it's kind of fun to just hide it and then, you know, go do it. But, um, you know, having run a 249 prior to CIM, I had run a 249 at Berlin in 2017. Once you got that four in there, no one's even going to bat an eye. They know that 245 has to be on your radar. And so I, yeah, it was a very public goal. And, um, I didn't know how I felt about that, um, but I knew it was important and actually it was a really good growth, a growth experience for me because, you know, managing other people's expectations and hopes for you in a way that they don't feel like pressure is, is tough. Um, and, you know, everybody wants, I mean, not everybody, but most, you know, most encouraging people want the, the best for you and, and they mean well when they say, oh, of course you can do it. And yeah, oh my gosh, you're so close. Yeah, you're going to do it. And, and they mean well. And, and that's so inspiring and encouraging, but it also can, if you internalize it a certain way, it can turn into pressure. Um, so there was that aspect that I was managing going into CIM. Um, I had a new coach. I started working with my coach, for the, a coach for the first time. Um, in May, June of the year. And so I had a lot of growth to do and, and a lot um, that I knew. So you say heartbreak. It's it's funny because now looking back, of course, I'm like, oh, it was great. It was a stepping stone along the way. It's so easy to say that. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, you need to experience that heartache to then grow. And, and I'm going to sound a little like cliche saying that, but really I wasn't, I was a little disappointed, but I wasn't 
I wasn't that hard on myself. And I think that was really important because I knew, I knew I needed more time kind of, and I was excited with a PR and I was excited with, wow, I made it, you know, 22, 23 miles. And I've actually never, I had never really run except for the Boston monsoon, which is a different case, but I had never run a race where I blew up that bad at the end. Um, and I think it's important to have that because then you really, I mean, I always have respected the marathon, but I had never had, I had always had a slight fade at the end, but I had never had a, and it wasn't that bad of a blow up. I still PR'd, but I lost three minutes in the last two miles. So my last two miles were pretty rough, especially the last mile I think was like almost eight minute pace, which isn't that bad, but it was like seven forty or something. Um, you know, having run a bunch of six tens, that's like losing a minute and a half all in the last mile. Um, so yeah, so I like, I knew what it felt like to have a strong and hard fade come out of nowhere. And I think I had never had that experience. Um, yes, there are worse fades you can have. And I was very proud of that day. You didn't come here to not finish. I really didn't think I was going to PR. So I, you know, thought about dropping. Um, and I'm really proud of that. I think the growth that came from that was really, really good. And I think, you know, some people were like afraid to congratulate me after, or, you know, afraid of where my mind was at after. And I was like, guys, I just, I just kind of started doing this. I, you know, I'm trying to do this OTQ thing. It's really awesome. And I really want it. And I really want to do it because I would have never thought I could do it. And I want to show that, you know, anyone can do it and, you know, or do whatever that is, whatever their it, whatever their OTQ is, people can do hard things. And it doesn't matter if you come from the same path. Like I didn't, you know, compete competitively in college and that, you know, I wasn't a D1, like typical, runner my whole life. And, and, and that's okay. But I, yeah, there were a lot of reasons I wanted to OTQ and and there were a lot of, you know, it was the next big goal for me and it was a, a great goal to have. And it is a great goal to have, but I, I wasn't heartbroken because I knew I had time and I was excited. I was excited to get back to work. I think the next day I was like, okay, I need to take the break. And I was talking with my coach and I was like, I'm really excited for the break. Um, I think it's really important to always take a break after a marathon. But then I was like, okay, but then I want to, I want to PR on the 5k and then I want to PR on, you know, all these other distances. And then I want to, I definitely want to run Berlin. Don't let me change my mind. And he agreed. And I was like, don't let me run a spring marathon. I'm going to want to, but I think what's best is I go back to Berlin and I just kind of take some time to work on my speed. And I think that'll, helped me a lot. And he agreed. I mean, he had the same idea, but I think immediately I was like, Ooh, cool. What do I have to work on now? And, and I think I just saw it in a very optimistic light, like, wow. I mean, I've held the pace longer than I ever had before. And, you know, I didn't quite hold it for those last two miles at all. So I think I can do it. And it was kind of a glimpse, glimpse into like, wow, with a little more time. Absolutely. I can do it. So yeah, it was important. Damn, that's a good outlook. And I want to offer up some numbers. So you did mention that you haven't been doing this all that long. You weren't, you know, you weren't running competitively in college. You weren't doing a lot of the things that we hear about from runners OTQing or going pro these days. So in 2015, that's just four years ago, you ran the Fifth Avenue mile. You ran one mile. You ran it in six minutes and 14 seconds. That, That one mile... Oh, man. That's slower than your marathon pace now, which you can do for 26.2 miles or, as you would say, many, many Ks. So this blows my mind. And I, you know, and I want to note, I just ran the Fifth Avenue mile. I ran a 610. I don't think. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 whatever. One mile. 
I don't <laughs> think that I could run faster than a 350 marathon. So it just blows my mind to see this incredible progress you've made in four years. How do you go from a 614 mile <laughs> to that being slower than what you're doing for 26.2? Like, literally, how do you do that mentally? How do you tap that potential and even know that it's an option? It's interesting, right? Yeah, I I think, so 2015, I was just kind of getting into things. Um, well, by the fifth that mile, I had been running pretty consistently for maybe eight months or so. Um, I, you know, I had dabbled in running, long story short, throughout my youth and, and soccer. And, you know, I was a little athletic my whole life, but um, I had gained some weight post-college and I kind of started running to, you know, just find something healthy to do. And, and I joined Nike run club and was like running with that. And then I found all the local little like running groups that would meet and started training. And I was doing the nine plus one for New York road runners. And so I needed to do all these races and it was all because I wanted to run one marathon in my life. I wanted to run the New York city marathon. I thought it'd be crazy. I had seen it and I was like, well, how do people do that? And I was like, I want to do it, but I didn't get in. And so I was doing the nine plus one in 2015. And then I ended up signing up for Philly because I got the bug and I really wanted to do a marathon while I had been running all these races. But yeah, I ran, I remember that I, I was in my Philly training and my Philly training was like an app. Um, and I was, you know, like, okay, well, I'm going to do this one cause it's, you know, just a mile and I have to do a million of these races. So let me just do this. And, and I had run like the 1500 here and there, um, in like high school, like really not that fast, like probably 645. I don't even know. Um, but I was like, okay, a mile. And so I really wanted to run it as fast as I could. And I remember that race and I like had no idea how to pace it. And I was like, all right, well, let's see how fast I can run a mile. And, and yeah, that was as fast as I possibly could run. I remember I felt like I was all out sprinting. And I, if you told me then like, okay, well in a few years, your marathon pace will be that. And I'm like, what? No. Um, so yeah, so it takes like not limiting yourself and kind of baby steps along the way. And yeah, it's actually been a very short amount of time in hindsight, but yeah, I mean my marathon that year, I ended up running Philly, I think around 740 pace per mile maybe or something so like 321 I, I ran a really great first marathon um but not compared to my you know like some people who come out of college and bust out 240s as their first marathon like well that wasn't me I you know I showed up to Philly wondering if I would finish um but I think there was this ounce of like wow the longer I go <laughs> the better I think I feel I don't know it, it felt really good and I don't know what it was about the marathon um but not putting the pressure on that first one, I think was really great for me because it allowed me to really like it. And so then I was really excited going into New York to like the following year, I ran 2016 New York to like race and see how fast I could do one. And yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it took baby steps. Like I wasn't like, Ooh, let's turn that into my marathon. I never would have guessed that at all. And yeah, four years later, exactly almost to the day, like, to run that pace for 26.2 miles. Like it, it was, it's kind of, it is very crazy. And I think as I clocked them off, even when I did a, I think that same year I did a 5k in 2015. And then the following year, my marathon was my same as my 5k the year before. Like I did the dash to the finish of the New York city 5k, um, in 2015. And then in 2016, that was my marathon pace. And so I, I, I had a lot of that. I had big jumps in 2016, so like my 5k pace became a marathon, which is like crazy. And I think that all came down to just, I had never been consistent before. Right. So 
you know, give me a couple years of consistency and, and to see, you know, obviously each training cycle builds fitness, right? You're aiming for a certain goal and, but then they build upon each other. Granted, you take breaks and you don't injure yourself and you actually very much so need to take breaks so that you can grow, but you know, they still build upon each other. Even if, you know, after a week or two or three off, you start running again and it feels like garbage, like you're still building upon it. Like I still have the miles on my legs now, right? Like even if I took seven weeks off, it might take me a little while to get back into the groove, but I'm still gonna, you know, it might take some time, but I, you know, you can get back to it. So I was pretty much consistent from 2015 to 2016 and into 2017. I had a little blip in there, but then, um, you know, I was pretty consistent and that's kind of what greeted the, the, the big jumps. Um, and then always kind of stepping back, like not always running a marathon and, and stepping back and like, okay, well now my marathon, I can't even fathom running any faster because that's pretty much my half pace too. So like you have to kind of step back every once in a while to work on your speed, um, which is my weakness for sure. Now's the time when we take a quick break to hear from our sponsor aftershocks. Every week on the Alley on the Run show, I sit here and I tell you how much I love my Aftershocks wireless headphones. But sometimes I like including a testimonial from a happy Alley on the Run show listener who heard about the headphones here, bought them, and is now running happier than ever. So here's one from Main Coaster who reached out over Instagram. Hi, Allie. I just want you to know that I love your podcast. Thanks. I listen to it whenever I get a chance, mostly in the car. Anyway, I needed to get new earbuds and nervously followed your lead with Aftershocks. Thanks for the discount. Wow, I just love them. Now, I'm never surprised, but I'm always delighted when people tell me they bought a pair of Aftershocks wireless headphones and that they're total game changers. But here's the other thing. I get that nervousness. I can give you $50 off your Aftershocks purchase, but I get that you're still spending your hard-earned money. And you wonder, is it worth it? Now, I can't make that decision for you, but here's what I will say. If you're a runner and you want them for running, think about how often you'll use them. Every day, every other day, four days a week. The return on investment here is really high. Spending money can be stressful, I get it, but that's why I say spend the money on high quality products like the Aftershocks Aeropex. They're weather resistant, they're what I run in, they really are the best, safest headphones for runners. And isn't this better than spending $10 every other week to replace a cheap crappy pair that got sweat in them and then immediately broke? If you're ready to invest in yourself or a loved one, go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $50 off your Aeropex Endurance Bundle. You'll get these amazing headphones plus loads of other goodies that will serve you well on the run. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now let's get back to the show. So I feel like your training, at least what you documented of it throughout this most recent training cycle, all of the strength work you were doing, all of the stuff you were doing with Project Moonshot, I feel like it needs to be made into a montage, like a flash dance-esque or like a Rocky, you know, when they do like the music montage showing all the hard work building up. (laughs) So with that image in our heads, I do want to know what made this training cycle different. It I mean, you just seemed like you were working your butt off, lifting really, really heavy, really smart training. So what did you do that was different in this buildup that led to race day success? I So the training itself, running wise, the training itself wasn't much different. I just, I felt more comfortable in it. And, and 
times that would have scared me stop scaring me. And I think, you know, if, even if something looked scary on paper, I just took it one rep at a time and I was able to kind of a lot of my track stuff. I was really nailing the track stuff. I, I, I don't know why it just felt like I was really clicking on some of those like eight hundreds and one K's and four hundreds. And I was doing those rest was pretty short or pretty active on those. And, and those were really fun for me. And I, I saw every day, back to the mentality thing, but I really saw every day as just kind of part of my life. I didn't, I, prior to the race before Berlin, somebody said like, do you feel ready? And I was like, I kind of don't feel like I trained. And we're like, what? You did so much. And I was like, well, but it felt, it felt like so natural. Um, obviously running 24 miles here and there, like not, I do not condone running 24 miles for most people, but I did do a 24 miler. Actually, I think I did too, but, um, I, you know, running those 22 20s, obviously those are work, but I really enjoyed them and, and saw them as, I don't know. I always have loved the long run though. So I'm kind of crazy. I especially love long run workouts. So it gives me something to think about and do throughout it and it breaks it up. But yeah, I mean, I saw them as part of my life and then, yeah, I would say like the strength training, um, I started very consistently. I have always kind of strength trained, but I, I started with Lena in January and, you know, I had lived with Lena at one point. She's a roommate, she's a friend, she's an expert. Um, and she always had a full-time job and now she's kind of doing more of her own personal strength training stuff. And I was like, she and I both were like, well, I feel like you could help. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Why not? And so we started working together, um, and in January and she was on me every single week. Like even when I didn't know if I could schedule a time, we found a time because she was on me about it and it was crucial and it was great. And then I would do one day on my own usually. So a pretty typical week would be like a heavy lift with her and then a light lift on my own that she would prescribe. And as I started working with her, it was getting better and better. And I saw that as like a fun, different challenge and her stuff wasn't you know, like crazy bodybuilder lifty, but I did lift heavy and everything felt purposeful. And it felt like I could tell her, Hey, I, so my running week got switched around. I actually have a workout tomorrow. And so she would lighten it a little, like if we needed to, ideally I would lift on the same day as my hard workouts, but it didn't always work out that way. And so it, it all felt very directed and, it was obviously she's an expert and she knows what she's doing. She's an athlete herself and, you know, educated, um, in many, many different strength training and exercise science. And so she was crucial and she was really great in, in helping me. And, and I found that as a fun challenge really. And it, I was like, you know, what? I have nothing to lose. This is, if anything, this will help me. So it's, you know, it doesn't really feel like marathon training when you're deadlifting more than your body weight, but you're like, wow, this is a fun challenge. I wonder if I can do it. And then you do it and it's cool. So I, I, I don't, I don't know how to directly correlate it, but I, I have felt more in control and more strong and my speed workout has been getting so much better. And I, I felt my glutes in the race, so something's working. So <laughs> it's, it's been really good. Um, but to, it's not to say like, you know, tr not just strength training, but running and, and strength training throughout my Berlin build wasn't perfect. Um, I maybe six weeks out, my posterior tip flared up. I took a day off when I didn't plan on it, um, on the weekend. So my mileage, of course, my brain, my mileage didn't hit and you know, whatever, but I took it off cause it was hurting so bad. Um, and then it felt okay. So we continued and I saw a lot of PT and you know, managed that pain. And then about a week later, randomly, um, my right quad, um, like way down by the knee on the inside, just like 
started shooting pain at the end of an easy run. It was like an easy eight or 10 miles, like on like a pretty normal day for me, just started shooting pain at the end of an easy run. It was so random. And the next day I tried to run on it and it shot pain immediately. So I stopped. I didn't run that day, but then it was the weekend. So I couldn't get into PT or, or, or a chiropractor or anyone. So coach and I were like trying to figure out, we pain managed. And then I like was like starting my long run and I made it seven miles before it really got unbearable and it was good because it was like clear that it was getting better the more I rested it but after it shot up my whole leg in the middle of my long run only like seven or eight miles in I was like I can't run a marathon with one quad six weeks it was like five weeks out I was like this is supposed to be one of my peak weeks and I was in tears I was upset I was like up in the upper west side and I live way in Brooklyn and I got in a cab to the train because I couldn't even walk I literally was limping crying and these ladies were like are you all right I'm like yeah um <laughs> and yeah and then I mean I ended up in hindsight taking about four or five days off I took four consecutive days off after that Sunday um saw a bunch of great doctors and chiropractors finish line do chiropractic and like I went to all these people um and they were like, you could maybe run Wednesday. We're like, no, take one extra day. Mario and I were like, just take the extra day. It's not worth it. And so I, yeah, I took the days and then I had the, the New Haven 20K on the following Monday. So it was like Thursday, I started jogging again. And then Friday and Saturday, I kept pretty easy. And we're like, all right, well, that 22 you had planned on Saturday is out the window. Let's just get you to the 20K feeling okay. And then I got to the 20K and I felt kind of like garbage, but my leg felt great. So I had to be optimistic and optimistic and then yeah and then I ran in that and I was like I ran it pretty much at my mer- what I ended up running at Berlin and I felt like trash and I was like <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to do that for that was 20k that is 12 point something miles and I don't know how I'm gonna do that for 20 something but you know what I'm gonna stay optimistic I just started running I'm so grateful didn't hurt and so I knew that I had to be grateful to make it to the start line and yeah I mean taking five days off, which was across two weeks. So it affected two different weeks in my crazy runner brain, two different weeks of what would have been higher mileage. Those were down. I had to just like let go of all that, right? Like there is no sense in looking back if I could have snuck in a four or a five, like what good would that have done for me to run on a quad that was kind of hurting? So um, the quad is a pretty important muscle. So yeah, so I didn't have a perfect build. It ended up being great. And I think the mindset, again, back to that, like just not letting that get me down um, and not thinking about that at all as like a weakness in my build and just saying, okay, I did the best thing I needed to do for my body and I got to the start line healthy. And, you know, we always say that, um, but easier said than done, taking those days. Wow. Talk about some good key takeaways for anyone who's listening, who has a goal race coming up and who didn't have perfect training. It does not mean your race is doomed. So I, I, you know, not that I love that that happened to you, but I think that there's, there's so much to say in there that, you know, almost like what you said about when you have a great race, you don't remember the dark parts. You don't remember the bad parts that, Hey, you might not have a perfect training cycle. You can still have a damn good race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't have to, like, I didn't feel great in a lot of my workouts after that, but I still continued. And I was like, okay, it's like, you know, Deslinden says, keep showing up. Like, I just kept doing the best I could on the day and trusted that. And, and then I did. I actually had a 
pretty, I had one like really solid long run after that. And I was like, so grateful. Um, cause there was still time to get like one or two long runs in after new Haven. So I was like, okay, I'm really happy to have these. I'm really grateful. And you know what? Like in my mind, I was like, I knew that I had X workout, right. That I missed. And it, it was bugging me that I hadn't done that, but I had to just kind of, I mean, that's my personality, but I was like, okay, that's okay. But look at what I did do. Not what I didn't do. So yeah, that was, that was hard. It wasn't easy. And at first I was definitely freaking out, but I knew after that I just had to move past it because there was nothing I could do, um, about the quad. So you just gotta, you know, you work hard and then you get six weeks out and something flares up like that. Um, I think had I just kept trying to run on it, I wouldn't have showed up to Berlin. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad that, that I just took the four or five days that I needed. Yeah, for sure. All right. I have one more running thing that I want to talk about before we talk about your job stuff and I get to get really nosy. So, and I know we touched on this back in March when we did our live show together is that at the time, at least you were not part of a team. So I'd love to talk about what that means for you. Have you found a team that you want to be a part of? Does that, I mean, does that matter? Talk to me a little bit about the team aspect, it seems like it's such a big deal in New York. Like there's so many teams and, um, you know, I feel like it's a big part of the New York running community being part of a team. So I'd love to get your take on that as a primarily New York city based runner. <laughs> and the rare unattached runner, right? Um, yeah. New York. I get that question a lot. Um, surprised for that question. <laughs> um, I, Though I run unattached, I don't ever feel alone. And and I think um, finding, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, right? So some of the groups meet at times that don't work for me. Um, if they're a group that has a very set time, I'm very selfish with my time or maybe not selfish, but I, I have to train in the morning. I found, um, you know, sometimes I do an easy run in the evening, but I can't count on it with my job. And so, you know, some of the groups I meet at night, that just doesn't work for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of groups and a lot of different people on a lot of different groups that, I love and adore and train with. Um, I have a training partner, Sasha, that I do a lot of runs with. She used to run for Nyack. She doesn't run with Nyack anymore. Um, and I think what I've found, yeah, it's an interesting question. I, yeah, I just, I guess I haven't found the exact fit. I may be joining a team. Stay tuned. Nothing's official. Um, but I, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to the, to a team if it's the right fit. I have a coach, right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show up to a workout and then do their workout because I'm very much into my individual plan. Um, you know, occasionally like Sasha and I sometimes will like, if she knows she has a big workout, I'll ask my coach and I'll be like, Oh, she has 16. You know, we'll work that out. But other than that, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I want to, I have goals and I have like my races. So I've seen what, you know, one size fits all can be because I was running with Nike Run Club. And then some of the crew started to form from there in 2015, 2016. And I showed up and I think I had been on some crews where I just like would show up and do the group training that they would do. And the leaders or whoever was there would kind of like try to have their input on my training. This was prior to having Mario as my coach. And I would go to these group trainings or be a part of a crew for a little while. And it just wasn't the right fit for me or it would wasn't individual 
like running is a bigger picture. And so like having a running coach, you know, if, if, if it's the right fit for you, if, if you're going to overdo it or, you know, I, I think having a running coach, if you're going to run, like you should you should consider a coach or at least some guidance. And for me, I definitely felt like I needed the individualized coaching because even with some guidance from a lot of outside sources or in the crews or whatever, I ended up kind of overtraining, um, or just, it wasn't kind of pointed enough to a goal. So I, yeah. And, and then, you know, I, not to talk smack, but there's a lot of drama on some of the teams and crews and even, you know, from the outside, everybody's super supportive and I am so supportive of, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm supportive of every single team out there. All my friends, I have friends on almost every single team that you would see out there. And I love that because I'm, I am sort of a neutral person, so I don't feel like, and I think most people on teams are supporting everybody's teams, not to say they aren't, but I, you know, I, I like being kind of neutral in that way, but, um, yeah, I, I think, oh, what I was starting to say was there's a little bit of a hype that starts to happen, and maybe it's the social media, maybe it's getting product and yes, I get some product from, you know, some sources here and there, but I don't like to get caught up in the hype because sometimes, and the drama, um, which can come with some groups sometimes, um, just because it can take away from the joy. Right. And I had to get back to that joy because I had been run down in early 2018 with a crew and with some drama and that specific crew and that specific drama had kind of taken away from the joy. And then I turned to running to kind of cope with that. And then I was running too much and then I was really run down. And then I wasn't really running that fast because I was too run down. And then, you know, it was who gets more stuff and then using that stuff to favoritize people and, you know, well, why did this person get that? And this person get that. And I had been in the middle of that a little bit. So stepping out of that, I needed a break. Because <laughs> if you're not from New York, you're gonna think I sound crazy. But it happens. And I think it's starting to happen everywhere. Um, and I have nothing against any crew. I, I love all the crews. And I, I love all the clubs. And I love all the teams. And I think what everyone is doing, especially some of the crews that are, you know, really getting these communities running that have never run before, they're amazing. Uh, I have nothing against them. And I hope I don't come across like I have anything across any crew or club. But yeah, I think finding the right fit is important. Whereas like I had come from the space where I had never really run before. I never really, not never, but you know, I kind of started from nowhere and then, you know, got pulled into one of these crews and then there was some drama and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want that drama. So, um, yeah, so there's that aspect, but I think, you know, I've, I have a crew in, in prospect park and we text and we meet and, a lot of them are on one team and some of them are on another. And I love a lot of those girls. So, you know, I'd love to be a part of something. I've felt left out before um, when some of these groups start, um, if I'm being completely honest. I think as lovely and uplifting as they are as groups, somehow maybe um, I've been left out um, before. And for whatever reason, you know, I don't want to be a part of something that people don't want me to be a part of. So, um, yeah, I'm open. I'm open to the right fit and the right team. She's a free agent, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I want to start a club just so you can be part of it. And we can just hang out all the time. I don't even need to run. I just want to hang out. 
I know. That's the thing. I hang out with so many people. It sounds like I'm a loner, right? Like I'm running. No, 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 no. There's all these crews. No, I I run with everybody. I'll run with anyone. Anyone want to call me? I run. Well, I I think most days. So, and it's so important to find what serves you best at this point in your life. And I think that applies to every aspect in life, not just who you're training and running with that. If something's not going to serve you, listen, none of us are in high school anymore. We don't like need to be friends with anyone out of convenience. Like that's one of the beautiful things about getting older is you can be selective and you can stand by your morals and your integrity. And if something doesn't serve you, walk away from it, man. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that can be hard. But yeah. All right. Let's talk about your job because you got back from Berlin. You like... Did you even make a pit stop at home to pack a bag? You've been in Florida working ever since because time waits. Time and reality television wait for no man or Olympic trials qualifier. So I I say my boss on this job was very accommodating of my Berlin trip. But after that, it was like, get your butt here. (laughs) So I missed some stuff. Um, I'm working on a food show right now. We're at like restaurants, but I, I work for the food network. Well, not directly. I'm a freelancer. I work for production companies who very often do food network or other similar type shows. And right now we're, we're up and running and, and I didn't even know, but I'm going to be on the road for like eight weeks. <laughs> mostly, mostly Northeast local, but I'll barely get to go home, which is almost more torturous than being like in Hawaii somewhere. Obviously Hawaii is not torturous, but I'm going to be like within three hours of home. Um, oh. almost harder, but yeah, it'll be great. I'm, I'm super excited. It's a, it's a fun, it's a fun, high energy job. I, leading into Berlin, I took mostly edit jobs, like more post-production, um, so that I could kind of have more of a friendly running, running friendly type schedule. And now I'm like, I have the opposite and I definitely need to start running again. I, I did run twice. Now it's been nine days. So I took a full week off. Um, but yeah, just very short runs, but I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. My, my job is kind of, it it is, I'm like a little bit of my own agent. Like I, my jobs are usually two to four or six months, um, at a time on a certain show, whether it's field or post or prepping. Um, and yeah, it's, kind of crazy i'm in the field right now which is the craziest probably in the field i'm picturing you in a field which i love <laughs> i was in the field doing an interview the other day I'm getting bugged so there. cool okay so before we do our sprint to the finish i need to do a quick like imdb deep dive because i went there and <laughs> oh, no. no oh yes i need to bring up a couple shows you've worked on and just ask a couple quick questions so First, you've done lots of kids' reality competitions, which I'm fascinated with. According to your IMDb page, uh, a few episodes of Dance Moms. How was that? Oh, so this was before Maddie Ziegler had worked with Sia, right? Yeah, little baby Maddie. Yeah, baby Maddie. So this was like OG Maddie, probably in the like right when she was getting popular. I mean, it was definitely popular. So I was like kind of in charge. Well, I remember the moms were fighting and they like my job was kind of, I mean, there was a tutor with them, but also like on the production side, I had to like make sure they didn't see the fighting, which I thought was really nice. I might not be like allowed to say this, but I took them to the mall. I took them off. I mean, in between dances, it was really fun. Actually, <laughs> they were really nice. And Maddie had the same size shoe as me at the time. And now she's probably way bigger than me. 
she was That's my so side cute. So you just got to like hang out with the girls. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. I worked Love for a production team on that. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Okay. You worked on an episode of Mob Wives titled oh. You Smell Delicious. Anything that you'd like to revisit there? <laughs> I've never seen it. I've actually never seen it. I worked in the field on that. I never watched that episode. Um, I don't. Even, I couldn't have even told you that. You know more about that than me. Um, yeah, I was there. I, they were just doing. I think it was in New Jersey or Philly area. They were just starting that area of Mob Wives. I know nothing about Mob Wives, but I was there, and the house was really nice, and we had to wear stuff on our shoes. Um, no, it was one of my first jobs, and so I had to take notes. And I remember there was like fights, and I really can't tell you much. But we stayed Damn in Philly. Yeah, I really don't remember much about that. But yeah, it was fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Lots of Rachel Ray. Lots of kids yeah. cooking. Do you ever get to eat the food? I get that question a lot. Um, I do. On competition shows, less because they make usually like just enough servings of their stuff. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes they do. I'm technically not allowed to eat a competitor's plate because I could sway the judges. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> they cook what do you mean? What do you mean a competitor's plate? So if they're competing for prize money, I'm not supposed to technically eat their food because I'm a producer. So oh. the judges are supposed to have tried it because I might have, wow. I, don't, I don't know the, re- I don't know the law. I'm I love that. There's, there's rules. I, I can, if I want. You should. Um, don't let have, it go to waste. Yeah. So, oh, the food waste. We do get to grocery shop at, you know, the pantry at the end, which is really nice. And the kids are great. Oh, man. Usually they bring us food like that they bake anyways or like baked goods. And they're so cute. And I'm their size. So it works out really well. well I was going to say you're very tiny. Do you ever just want to like sneak in and whip up some like fancy scrambled eggs with some creme fraiche on top? No, oh, okay, but cool. then they're like, like sometimes you have to get fancy shots, and if they're gone, I'll be like the hands stunt double. My hands look like kid hands. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Do you have any of Rachel Ray's primary colored cookware? My sister does. My sister has all the green ones. I got her all those. Cool. Well, she she had a lot of them, but I try to get them all the cookware. Sometimes we have stuff on set, but yeah, they're cool. The spaghetti pot. My sister really wanted the spaghetti pot. It's yeah. like long. Yeah. yeah, who wouldn't want that? Her cookware looks amazing and it's so brightly colored. Okay, the last thing I need to know from you before we sprint to the finish, if you go to your Instagram profile, which I've done many, many, many times, the very first thing listed, it's not your new PR, that's on the third line. It's not your job title, second line. It's three simple words. Kindness is magic. Why? Um, I think kindness can solve a lot of problems. Um, I think, you know, it's easy to be kind to people you like. Um, it's easy to be kind to people who are like you and who have the same viewpoints or maybe look like you, but being kind, you know, in any scenario should always be the answer. I think. I love that. You're like Ellen DeGeneres. I know. I didn't even realize that until I just watched Ellen's video with like, yeah, exactly. I I was like, wow. I have that in my profile. Wow. And and yeah, I actually interned at the Ellen show. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back night. up. Back Maybe. up. Yeah. It might not be on my IMDb. It was not. Okay. IMDb. First of all, someone needs to update your IMDb. Maybe I could submit it as a fan. Um, when did, when did you do that? Um, when I was in college. So cool. 
2012, maybe? Yeah, I was an intern. It was really fun. I also interned at the Letterman Show in New York, so it was really cool. I thought I was going to do talk shows, and that kind of was the path I was hoping to go on and originally, and then, you know, whatever happened, I fell into all this, like, cooking stuff, but... Um, yeah, I loved it. Oh my gosh. It was so much fun. I mean, we did like a lot of what we did was like read fan mail, which was seems like really weird, but you get a lot of stories from the fan mail. And then we would also do a lot of runs around the lot and like I'd get to ride a little Ellen bike. I have a photo with like the Ellen bike. Um, yeah. It was really, really fun. Such a fun environment. Um really. if you could text me that photo when we get off the phone, that'd be great. <laughs> would love it. Would love to use it to promote this episode. My mom has it somewhere. Oh All my right. gosh. So mom. different. Mama Gill. <laughs> All right. Ellen would want us to sprint to the finish. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Carly. What is your favorite food? Ooh. Party, probably pasta, spaghetti. Um, grew up on that. Um, although I'm yeah, lots of different foods. Um, but I love sweets. So sweets eat that. Also, I love cucumbers. I think chocolate wow. and cucumbers spaghetti. So three things. Okay. Love that. Well-rounded. Favorite movie? <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't understand it. Um, hmm, that's a hard one. I'd have to say, ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, my God. Why are movies so hard? Because there's so I'm many sure. of them. So many. I'm trying to think. I'm a sucker for, uh, I'm going to have a tough time picking one, but I'll say any of the Nicholas Sparks movies, which is just going to be the, like, such a generic answer, but I can't remember the one with, what's her name, Julian Huff? The Notebook. No, no, Julian <laughs> Huff. What's the one with Julian Huff? It's like, I don't know. What is that called? I don't know. Whatever. Any Probably The movie. Last Song or Save the Last no. Human or something. Yeah. That's Miley Cyrus. Okay, Great. I'm a sucker for cheesy romantic. Honestly, you all right. You know what? You can say any Christmas Hallmark movie. They're terrible. <laughs> I love them, and I'm gonna enjoy them. Do you, girlfriend? What is your favorite TV show? Currently, This Is Us, but also, um, oh my gosh, what's the other one called? I'll just say This Is Us. I love This Is Us. It's so sweet, and I don't know. I'm a sucker for sweet. It's on right now where I am. It'll be on in in, in 15 yeah. minutes where you are. I'm behind. Yeah. I have to watch that. And then there's one on ABC. A Million oh Little gosh, Things. A Million Little Things. It's good. So good. They're very similar. They're very similar. Very but similar. Them. But I find that A Million Little Things is less depressing somehow. Yes. It's like less and forced sadness. There's some flashbacks, but you're kind of in time. Whereas exactly. This Is Us is all over. In exactly. All right. Do you have a race mantra? Ooh. This time it was Believe. I guess it was knockout case, but it also was just believe. My coach said that to me right before, and it's my like grandma's favorite word and simple but effective. Who's your favorite runner? Oh wow, that's tough. Wow, I know. You. Um <laughs> you. Um, who else? Let's see. I I've well, this is a very cliche answer, but I really look up to Steph Rothstein. Oh sure. no, that's not cliche, that's perfect. She's so sweet. How could you not? I'm not even a mom, so like I don't have that connection, but she's just real. Yeah, I like she's that. the best. Where did you have your first real kiss? <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> real. Um, in the, I think it, I guess it would have been like the lobby of my school, which is so Wow. 
Yeah. Public display. I like it. What is something (laughs) you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Can I say something no one should do? No. Yeah, sure. I say this. Don't go on a reality TV show. No, I'm kidding. Do it. Um, Please edit that out. Wow. Um, I love it. (laughs) What's something everyone should do? Everyone should run a marathon, I think. That's a nice one. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? I probably didn't know it because I like played the tomboy act like I didn't like boys, but probably Zach Morris subconsciously. Such a good one. Same. His real name. Uh, Mark Paul Gosler. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. I need you to tell me three things that you love about yourself. Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's like a therapy question, Allie. Um, I love. Mm, That's really hard. I mean, this is easy. Your hair, your height, you're funny, oh, you're smart, no, no, no. you're pretty, you're fast. Okay, I love... I am very surface level. I love when I'm <laughs> kind. I think no one's always kind, but I do love that I want to be kind all the time. Um, I love that I listen. I try to listen and not just answer people. I want to listen to people. Um, I try to do that. And then I love... <sighs> I don't know. I love, love, I love that I'm small. I love that. Yeah. There's a surface one. I love that too. All right. The last thing I need from you, Carly, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Uh, Because you can is such a cliche one. I'll give you a different one. Let's say run today because it's fall and it's the best season to run. I love that. Carly, I am so happy for you. I've just loved following your training. I've loved seeing how hard you've worked to make this happen. And I I think I'm your number one fan. So keep doing great things. And you can join my run club where we just will watch reality TV and cook pasta in Rachel Ray's pots. And have red wine. Yes. <laughs> I'm into it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Alley on the Run show. And of course, huge thanks to Carly for making this happen during her ultimate busy season. If you're enjoying the Alley on the Run show, let me know. I'm Alley on the Run one on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on the Alley on the Run Facebook page. And if you love the show, tell the world, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or share it with a friend. Truly the best way to get the word out and grow the Alley on the Run show community is by sharing it with your people. I bet your friends trust your judgment about at least some things. So let them trust you with podcast recommendations and tell them about the Alley on the Run show. Finally, let's give it up for our wonderful sponsor, Aftershocks, for making this episode possible and for making the very best wireless headphones for runners. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off your pair. Happy running, happy fall, happy marathon season, happy everything. Thanks for joining me today on The Run.